0: Supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does AM 1420 WBSN
1: presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa.
2: Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor. Matt Moniz and and Matt Cost. I know last week you were feeling a little under the weather. Are you doing better this week? Oh, definitely. I ask you that having seen you like almost every, actually every day since last week's show, because you know I didn't I didn't get a day off this week, so I, I felt like you for I a know. change having to work. I know, apologize. Fourteen, thirteen, fourteen days in a row. So, uh, but uh, of course, we are also hard at work here at Spooky South Coast creating what we hope will be a terrific show tonight. Uh, Matt Moniz, we had a chance to talk a few weeks ago with uh, E. Howard Hunt, who is the... I'm sorry, with St. John Hunt, who is the son of yeah. E. Howard Hunt. Yeah. Uh, and we talked about the Kennedy assassination. And I actually received an email uh, following that show uh, from somebody who had mentioned to me, uh, Tim Miller, who will join us later on. And uh, he had actually been on Coast to Coast uh, follow, uh, prior to uh, St. John Hunt's appearance the night that we talked to St. John. So between... You know our program and, and St. John appearing on Coast to Coast. Tim Miller uh, made his comments with Ian Punnett. and I'm sorry that I didn't get a chance to listen to it live. You know, as as we were in transit from you know here to home, and right. and, and that's pretty much how it goes. Is I usually lose an hour of time uh, because <laughs> missing time. Yeah, that's well, another show. <laughs> yeah. so uh, I didn't get to listen to it, but I did end up listening to it later on through Streamlink service. And uh, it was just fascinating stuff. So when we had the opportunity to bring Tim on to our show, you know, we jumped at the chance because yeah, we talk about the paranormal here. We talk about ghosts. We talk about aliens and UFOs. We talk about Bigfoot and different cryptids and you know, just strange fringe supernatural paranormal stuff. But we're also here to try to bring you um, alternate theories and possible answers to some of the, the the great mysteries of our time that usually don't get addressed on these airwaves. And certainly, the Kennedy assassination is something that there's still so many questions out there, and uh, it's something that's going to keep popping up from time to time. It's not just going to be something that we discuss, you know, on November 22nd every year, or or wherever our show lies around that date. It's going to be something that's an ongoing discussion, an ongoing search for us to find the answers it's long been you and i it's long been something we've discussed about off the air many times so naturally we want to be able to use our airtime here in, in this forum to be able to present some of the information that's out there to people and it's it's strange because it touches on everybody i mean everybody has a certain aspect about this story that rubs them a little differently you know, uh, everybody's well. You know, how could one guy fire a rifle that fast, or how could you know one bullet do that much damage? There's always, no matter the most ardent believer of the single bullet lone nut theory, there's usually a little something that they say. Well, yeah, well, that's a little fishy. And hmm. and as long as those questions persist, and as long as you know there's still that two percent of the documents that are still hidden away or whatever it is, there's still going to be questions that arise. So hopefully we can keep. Uh, discussing this with the people that might have some of the answers. And Tim Miller certainly is somebody that fits that bill. Uh, He is a publisher uh, who worked with Gerald Ford uh, on creating a special edition of the Warren Commission Report. And so uh, in his time working with President Ford, Tim was kind of privy to some information that didn't make it into the final book. So we'll talk with him about that in just a little bit. And, of course, we welcome your calls at any time during the program, 508 996-0500 508-291 nine nine six zero five hundred five oh eight two nine one zero five hundred and you can email us during the show SpookyCrew at spookysoutcoast dot com and if you need to find out any of these numbers again or the email address or anything or during the course of the week you need to get in touch with us. Our website is spooky dot com. And of course we are working on updating the podcasts. That was kind of our, our New Year's resolution to try to get yeah. the podcast updated more often. And and so far, we're uh, we're not living up to that. Uh, I, I get emails every day from people wondering where they are. So let's just make it known right here. You know, there's two weeks here in January where there were no shows. The first two weeks of January, we we did not have programs due to NFL football. So when we do get them caught up, there will be a couple of weeks that are missing. That's the reason why. And if for some reason you can't wait for the actual podcast to come out, you know, through iTunes or Zoom or however you get it and you just need that fix of spooky south coast and if you do what's wrong with you i mean <laughs> <laughs> no really though. No. if you do need to get the program you can just go to uh the blogspot site that's run by our friend uh Craig and you can go to bl- uh, spooky south coast.blogspot.com and uh, if you go there you'll be able to find he posts the show up like literally hours after it's done uh he runs the the stream there you can download it there uh, there's there's commentary going on about that particular episode every week so it's a it's a fine site to be able to get the, the show if you can't wait for the podcast to be delivered to you through iTunes.
3: We're honored actually. Hmm? We're actually honored. Of that, you know.
2: Absolutely we thank Craig so much for I mean he contacted me uh, a few years ago about writing stuff for his sports site and and he really got into Spooky South Coast and he gave us our own little corner of his website Southern Sports Week and he just from there, he just decided to start archiving the shows and, and putting them up there, and we thank him for that. Uh, it, it's when when somebody thinks that much of our product that you know, a they would take the time to do that, or or b they would even take the time to email and say, "Hey, where is the where are these episodes?" You know, we're always touched, we're always honored. And we we apologize that you know, day to day life can sometimes get in the way of things, and and one person's suggestion, uh, she's a very loyal listener. Her suggestion was to bring in like a college kid and pay him $20 a week to uh, update the website and everything. And the only problem with that is we don't have $20 a
0: week. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we don't make any money at this, and, and uh, we're hoping we can change that and, and get things a little bit more efficient. But uh, for right now, you know, we, we can't even afford the college kid. So if there's any college kids out there that need to earn uh, you know, college credit, they, they want to intern with Spooky South Coast, I'm sure we can work something out uh, in a non-cash basis. But uh, speaking of last week's show, just phenomenal response this week.
3: I was impressed with uh, the way that turned
2: out. Emails, uh, emails to our co-host from last week, Jeff Belanger, uh, the discussion on the forum at com. Lindsay Malone from Americans Against Reality TV really touched off a nerve uh, with our listeners, and that's good. I mean, th- it's good that we love it when the topic we bring to the table for that particular show can continue on. You know, during the week, in, in discussion and debate on the internet. So, you know, if you want to get in there, it's still not too late. And if you need to hear the show, you can go to SpookySouthCoast.blogspot.com and and catch it. I know it's up there, and uh, you can really just hear it for yourself. It, I, I apologize. I mean, it, it seems almost like we kind of set Lindsay up a little bit by bringing her on under short notice to talk about reality TV, paranormal reality TV, something she wasn't really that well versed in. Uh, and she did make an effort in the time allotted to to try and watch at least a sampling of some of these programs. So, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, you know, she didn't really have a whole lot of time to prepare. I think if we had contacted her a week or so or a couple of weeks before, she would have devoted more time to it. But she's definitely opinionated on the topic of reality TV, and so I thought we had some some pretty good discourse uh, over the course of that program. And we'll definitely have her back when she's had a chance to to view even more of these shows because there's more coming. Well,
3: she did have a couple of valid points.
2: Absolutely. And uh, so if you would like to uh, join in that, the forum at SpookySouthCoast.com, it's right there under the Discuss the Show tab, and you can do that with every episode. All right. Well, I'm sure tonight's show will spark a lot of debate as well. And, uh, of course, we will be talking with Tim Miller, who will talk with us about the, the inside information from President Gerald Ford regarding the Warren Commission and the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast.
0: Who are you scared of, Dave? Me? I'm afraid of everybody. You just talk to us on the record. We'll protect you. I guarantee it. It was a day that changed our lives. I saw a flash of light in bushes, and that last shot.
2: Alright, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Along with the sign on assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz, and joining us on the line now is Tim Miller. He is the CEO of Flat Signed, which is a company. Which Tim, uh, I have to say, I, I know that you kind of uh, you, you kind of got the name from from Stephen King, uh, but what you offer is probably even more collectible than than any of Stephen King's books. I would have to say. Um, with your signed copies of books by uh, President Ford, of course, which we'll talk about tonight, and, and Buzz Aldrin. and how, how did you get into the idea of publishing these books and, and having them signed by the authors and making these really unique collector's items?
4: Well, it, it started in 1998 when I be- became a professional bookseller, and, and that just meant that I would try to get authors or famous people to autograph books, and then I would sell them on the Internet. But then after three or four years of doing that, I decided to cut out the middleman and go into the publishing business. So I decided to uh, make a list of living, famous people who I I would dream of being able to sit down and work with to publish a book and have them autograph a leather-bound edition for me and make it a limited edition, either 1,000 or, in the case of Gerald Ford, 3,000. And Gerald Ford uh, was on the list of people that I wanted to publish a book for. And it was as easy, and I I got really lucky here, I have to confess to you, I overnighted a letter with a very simple outline that I wanted to publish a book regarding the JFK assassination and have President Ford autograph just 3,000 copies, make it a limited edition, and within three days, I got a phone call from his chief of staff, and they said the former president loved the idea, let's do it.
2: Beautiful. I mean, to to have him jump on board with that, I mean, normally you've you got to think that if you, you mention the assassination to Ford, especially, you know, he was, he was probably in his late 80s, early 90s when you contacted him. You know, it, it was kind of something that he had not been discussing that much anymore in public.
4: You're exactly right, and part, part of the deal was that he got final approval on what was going to be in the book, and that kind of ties into the new release. My company has gone forward with publishing the unpublished parts of that book, and during this show we'll talk to your listeners about how they can actually get those redacted comments. But President Ford agreed to this because he had final editorial uh, review, but also because it was a, a quality presentation. He wanted something that literally could be handed down from generation to generation, an heirloom quality book. And that's what my company specializes in: is producing leather-bound limited editions with all the bells and whistles, with silk moray and the built-in satin bookmark, and and most of all, hand-signed by a famous. Celebrity or political figure. In this case,
2: President Ford. And, and in the case of the Warren Commission, I mean, uh, you know, anybody that's into into the assassination research or anybody that's that's done a great amount of uh, investigation into these topics, you know, they've got the beat up paperback copy of the Warren Commission, you know, sitting on their bookshelf, and it's just it's a it's a dry read in a lot of regard, and it's a dry presentation getting in that. So at least, you know, in this form, you're getting a nice, handsome. Something to to be able to have that's more than just you know the the beat up paperback copy that is on our shelves. You know, it's it's something that when you when you have a little assassination library, which I I have one, I have a little collection of assassination books. You know, this is something that people their eyes are going to be drawn right to, and then when they find out, wow, that's the Warren Commission report. You know, it, it just gives it even more gravity than it already has.
4: You're exactly right, and I really appreciate you uh, bragging on my product that way. (laughs) I'm very proud of it. And, you know, the original Warren Commission report was 24 or 26 volumes, if you count the indexes. Mm -hmm. But what we published was a summary. It's only about 480 pages, and President Ford wrote a new introduction. So he, he wrote 30 pages of new information and then following that and his autograph, you have the entire 24 volume all in one. And it does read smoother, and it's, it's not something that uh, someone would really be bored with reading. It makes it uh, condensed and easy for everyone to hear all the, the facts as they were presented by the Warren Commission.
2: Well, for those of us who have tried to read through the 24 volumes, thank you for that.
4: <laughs> you <laughs> well, bet. Long well, I'm overdue.
2: But uh, now, now, what has been the response though uh, to to these conspiracy theorists to the people who are you know the the ardent researchers of of the assassination? you know are they glad that there 's a new way that the Warren Commission is being presented to the public, whether they agree with it, whether they disagree with it, at least it 's being presented to the public in an easier way for them to digest and, and to be able to analyze
4: well, the response has been depending upon who the audience is, it has been tremendously warm or tremendously cold. And the response from from the media has been the same way, either tremendously warm or tremendously cold, depending upon who we're talking about. I'll give you a couple of examples. It has been relatively easy to get on small radio shows and even television shows If you don't mention shows in washington or new york breaking through that barrier there's literally a wall that i would describe around the media in washington and new york and they simply say that it's an old story but what they fail to realize is that there's actually a new connection up through even the obama administration But I know in talking to a lot of reporters who have, some have dedicated their lives to the JFK assassination. I spoke with one reporter in Michigan who has taken the CIA to court and is spending his own money to help fight the federal government. And these are your tax dollars at work fighting this one reporter who is simply trying to get the CIA to adhere to, to a law passed by both the House and the Senate 10 years ago, 11 years ago, saying, CIA, you must release the files on the JFK assassination. And even though Congress has demanded that they do so, the CIA has fought this reporter. So, you know, the the response has been tremendous from middle America and from those who still believe this is a relevant issue but the response has been tremendously cold from those people who are in power, and what I would call the national mainstream, especially the television media in Washington.
2: And they, like you said, they they have that approach of it's it's an old story because they're refusing to you know listen to any of the new evidence, any of the new theories, or any of the new comments that are coming out there. I, I would think that if you have. A a former president who would you would think would kind of be somewhat in the know based on that position, who was also be a member of the Warren Commission, you know, coming out with new thoughts, surviving member
4: of the Warren Commission, in fact,
2: and and kind of having to get something off of his chest before his time on this earth is over, you know, you got to think there's got to be something to those comments, and and like you said, it's just proof that there's there is a wall that's been built around it. I mean, uh, Peter Jennings, you know, no longer with us, but I can only imagine what he would have said if he tried to go on his show.
4: You know, you're exactly right, and and there is new, relevant, truthful information out there. You know, uh, because of just our brief chat off-air, you know that E. Howard Hunt, on his deathbed, confessed to being the organizer of the assassination. That's new news. We have a, a gentleman in prison in Illinois who says he was the second shooter. That's new news. And during the election, during the primary uh, election between Hillary Clinton and President Obama, Hillary Clinton was asked and pledged that if she was elected president, she would release the files. President Obama has not made that same pledge. And and I believe, you know, this is kind of guessing, I have to admit, but I believe no other issue has taken more man-hours and more money being spent by individuals like that reporter in Michigan than this one subject. Imagine the time and energy and money and also your tax dollars. If those energies and financial resources were focused on something different, if the federal government would simply release this file, imagine what could be done by these same people and those same dollars if they were spent towards a different purpose.
2: Well, originally the plan was that these documents wouldn't be released until 2039, uh, essentially making sure that with a 75-year window, you know, from when the the report was released, that they would definitely, I guess, taking into account, you know, breakthroughs in medical science, every surviving uh, Warren Commission member would be gone by that point. Um, right. So uh, the 75-year rule kind of fell by the wayside, though, with the Freedom of Information Act, and according to the numbers I found on the internet 98% of the Warren Commission records have been released to the public and uh, pretty much now everything has been released uh, except for uh, tax information tax return information is that true? I mean is there still documents out there aside from you know what the CIA obviously has but is there still documents that were presented to the Warren Commission that we haven't seen yet?
4: That's the key question and here's what I know when President Clinton who had a personal connection to President Kennedy because President Kennedy, according to President Clinton, inspired him to become a public servant. During President Clinton's administration, he appointed a special committee to sit down with the CIA and find out exactly what our government has in its possession that has not yet been released. That committee sat down with the CIA, looked through the files, came back and reported to President Clinton and the public, they held the press conference, and said that there's really nothing relevant that has not yet been released. And then it became a quiet story until President Bush was elected, and then the CIA decided that they were going to release what they had been calling their family jewels for 40 years. And the family jewels were those files where the CIA... Had committed and attempted to commit foreign assassinations. Mm-hmm. And at that same press conference, at that same time, the CIA said to the national media, Now we have re- released all the files but for one, and that's the file on the JFK assassination. And by the way, we didn't show President Clinton's select committee the real file. So the CIA <laughs> withheld this information from the president's own appointed committee. We don't know what the CIA has. That's the, the truth, and the only people who do know would be the director of the CIA. I even wonder if President Obama asked to see the real file like President Clinton's committee att- attempted to do, would they show him the real file? We don't know. We have a we still have an independent agency acting as if they are independent from our own democratic government.
2: And, and that is part of the problem there because, you know, obviously if if Oswald, Lee Harvey Oswald, was a, a CIA operative, then this file would probably contain all that information. Uh, which That's would, exactly right. At the very least, even, you know, let's just say Oswald had a break with reality and just went off on his own and and decided to go and kill the president by himself, and it was that one bullet that did all that damage. The fact that the CIA was uh, in contact with him and actually, you know, essentially programmed him as one of their agents would make them complicit, at least in people's minds, uh,
4: whether exactly, or not by fact. You're, you're exactly right, but, you know, I, I kind of, act on a common sense basis, because we won't know the real facts until those who know them release them. Mm -hmm. But common sense tells me this, if the CIA had nothing to hide, then why would they not show the real files to President Clinton's committee? If the CIA had nothing to hide, then why would they be fighting in court 10 years and not acting uh, not releasing the the, the files when both houses of congress voted unanimously that they must release the files if there wasn't something pertinent there then they would have nothing to to cover up so common sense tells me there is something in the files that those who are in power still want uh, kept secret and I, I know According to a 45-year veteran television anchor man who emailed me out of the blue and then three days later showed up at my door, he told me why the files have not been released, and that's because the files make the Kennedy family look responsible for John Kennedy's death, not directly, but indirectly. And I do want to say that I have great admiration and affection to the Kennedy family. Probably no family in our lifetimes has, has given more uh in, in in public service than the Kennedy family. So I, I say with all due respect they want the files kept secret according to this forty five year television anchor man, but I believe that the public deserves and has the right to know and if they want to black out a few names that's okay but at least release the, the the most of the files to the american public we are we are a democracy after all
2: well i mean unfortunately uh, now in today's world uh, when there's there's information that needs to be leaked out you know they they have the the national security concept to fall back on you know we can't tell you for reasons of national security but an event that happened exactly 45 right. years ago you know, uh, in, unless, you know, the CIA is still running the same programs that they're trying to cover up from then now, which uh, I can't imagine with all they've confessed to in terms of the Castro assassination attempts and the like, I can't imagine they're still running the same programs. You know, I don't think Operation Mongoose is still ongoing today. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, that even today you try to get these files released and they're, they're going to follow that old line that they always do. Oh, there, there's nothing in there for you to worry about. Don't, no, don't worry about it. You know, there's nothing in there of any importance, but, you know, why can't you just show us that? You always just tell us that. It's almost like we're children, you know, being talked down to by, by the CIA.
4: You're, you're exactly right. And if there are legitimate national security concerns, in fact, that was a caveat that uh, Senator Hillary Clinton made when she said that she would release the files. She said that there were reasons, you know, true reasons of national security then those aspects could be redacted. And I totally understand that. But keeping the entire files secret, when we're supposed to be an open democracy, there that's not legal, first of all, because Congress has passed a law to the contrary, and it's inappropriate in an open democracy like ours. We will grow from this experience. We we as a country grow from all of our national tragedies. We are a fairly young democracy, but the longer we keep things secret that are not national security issues, then the more childlike our country will remain. Mm-hmm.
2: And and I just have the feeling that if you're if you're viewed in the world stage as a child, you know sooner or later somebody's going to come along and, and give you a spanking.
4: That's exactly right. Too often we do things with good intentions, not realizing that in the long term we damage our reputation and we damage ourselves even more. And that is probably what's happening here. We as a country deserve and we have the right to know what's in these files minus any national security concerns.
2: I mean, even if I have to make the, the leap in logic, which I can't do, Uh, to believe that Lee Harvey Oswald pulled this all off by himself. Uh, I, I also can definitely not make the leap in logic that, you know, he can cause all of these questions and controversy with his actions 45 years later. I can't imagine that something that was planned by only one man and executed by only one man could leave this many unanswered questions.
4: Well, and I agree with you, and that ties right into the book that I published with President Ford, Until I published the book, I really wasn't a believer. I didn't spend a great deal of my time on the subject at all. But the more I worked with President Ford and the more that I began to learn, especially from people who approached me after the fact, the more I began to realize there really is something here. And the smoking gun, as it turns out, is this book. President Ford, and and by the way, coincidentally, Uh, Although, as you say, he was, you know, uh, 90-ish when we worked together uh, on this book in 2003. But in this book, President Ford gave us clues in what ended up being his final book. And I didn't know that this was even important or significant at the time. But President Ford, in this new forward, he wrote for the book that my company published he admits for the first time that the CIA did destroy documents on the day of the assassination.
2: And, and that being a, a huge revelation, because you, you, when the Warren Commission tells us that they've you know examined everything involved in the assassination, we thought they meant everything.
4: Well, and the Warren Commission specifically says that the CIA did not destroy documents. So now you have a conflict in the facts. So let's look into that conflict.
2: And it seems like, uh, like Ford, that was the one thing. Like it seemed like he wanted to get off of his chest. And in, in reading the, the comments that are published, uh, but he he did try to set himself up as a, with a bit of a safety net for why the commission might have said the things that they said. Talking to you personally, what was the reason why he gave you as to why the commission would say that when when it turned out not to be the case?
4: I can tell you my opinion as to why President Ford did what he did, and and that is, that opinion is that in 1963, President Ford was a fairly uh, new congressman from the state of Michigan, coincidentally the same as the reporter, and he, well, I believe that he swore and gave his word that he would never change his position. Other members of the commission, in fact, a majority of the commission, before they passed away, changed their position and said that the commission got it wrong. But President Ford, even with the new information that came about after the assassination, he never changed his position because I believe he was an honorable man and had given his word that he would never change it. And and this, even after the House... Uh, select committee on assassinations Came to the conclusion That there probably was A conspiracy Even with all of that new information President Ford Never changed his position Even though a majority of the other Commission members did
2: I mean unfortunately that's part of his Lasting legacy with Americans Is You know when all this evidence was flying In his face he stood fast To the, to the lone gunman single bullet Theory and it kind of detracted, I think, a little bit from his legacy, which is a, a bit unfair. I mean, you know, we look back at, at Gerald Ford in popular culture and, and what do we see him as? You know, we see him as the presidential duffer, the guy out on the golf course. Uh, we, we know him as, you know, the man who pardoned Richard Nixon for the Watergate. Uh, and it just seems like he, he doesn't have that. You know, stoic reputation of a president. He's kind of somebody who's viewed upon as not one of our worst presidents, but somebody who just had a really rough time of it and wasn't ready for the job. And he's a guy who was forced into this. He, he didn't ask for this. He didn't ask to become president in one of the most tumultuous times in American history. But, you know, he was kind of thrown into it and did the best that he could.
4: And, and let me tell you that the perception of President Ford is not accurate. All the things that you mentioned, I agree with you completely. But the other perception is is that he was kind of a, of a bumbling, uh, non-athletic, kind of slow, even. That's the Chevy Chase syndrome from Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. But in reality, he was, no doubt, the most athletic president in our history. Even his detractors admit that. President Ford was an incredible athlete, and even had the choice of playing professional football or going to law school, and he chose law school. But uh, it just goes to show you how that our perceptions can be the opposite of reality. And the perception of President Ford was the opposite in the case of being uh, a stumbler and non-athletic, and also President Ford was a very intelligent man but he grew up during a time when it was mundane for the government to keep secrets from its people. He grew up in a time when we were afraid of World War III because we were at the height of the Cold War. And even today, I'm sure, presidents keep secrets and never tell the whole truth because it's part of their job and responsibility. So that becomes part of the legacy that is the president has to live with lies and with things that they may legitimately uh, believe, they can't tell the American people. But in this case, I don't believe that that's true.
2: Well, and we know presidents also have to lie, especially these days, to protect their own asses uh, because there of you some go. of the, the stuff that they've been getting themselves into. And but I thought it was interesting that you know here it is the the, the basically the foreword, the preface to a, a book on the Warren Commission, and and Gerald Ford still in the comments addresses the pardon of Richard Nixon like he feels like yet again he needs to explain his position as to why he did that and I'm glad that you give him the the opportunity in in this uh, particular work to be able to explain that once again that you know he was just trying to make it go away as quickly as possible
4: and that too is an example of president ford being a good and honorable man he could have waited until after the election in 1977 He could have waited until after the election to pardon Richard Nixon, and now we know that had he waited, he would have been elected president. Jimmy Carter would have never been president of the United States, or at least not in 1978. But he made a bold and fast move in his attempts to heal the country, and it cost him the presidency. Had he waited, he would have been elected president of the United States in 77.
2: And I think that can be allegorical to his work with the Warren Commission. You know, it, exactly. it's, it's, you know you're trying to get through the healing process and, and try to you know, push these. It's almost, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to belittle you know, the, the decisions that he made, but it's only... I,
4: I believe that LBJ told them that in the interest of not only our country, but in the interest of the world, you guys need to sit down and investigate, but in the end, make sure that you report Lee Harvey Oswald's lone gunman theory.
2: So while you're working on this and and you're you're publishing these remarks and, and President Ford has the final say in what goes to press You also have, you know, the other information, uh, stuff that he told you or stuff that, you know, he may have decided not to include with it. And what was the agreement that you had in place with him regarding being able to speak on that or, or put that information out there, you know, maybe after his death? I mean, would he have been understanding that, you know, this is what I want to be on the record for my end of things, and then here's some information that might be passed on later on?
4: Here's how the agreement went and continues today. My company owns the rights to the forward that President Ford wrote for this new book. But those redacted comments are, go- are going to be published under my name, mm-hmm. not President Ford's name. And those, those of you who are listening now can get that redacted version showing what President Ford cut from the book in a separate book that's published as Tim Miller as the author. And when people now purchase the original book, and there are only less than 300 copies remaining, anybody will get the redacted version and know what was cut without charge. I'm not even charging for that book.
2: And, and I've been able to read a copy, and it's it's definitely fascinating reading for anybody who is both a, a scholar of presidential history and, and people who are specifically interested in the assassination of JFK and the Warren Commission itself. Uh, you can So there's only three hundred less than 300 copies left, so you, you better act quickly. You can go to flatsigned.com, email them, orders at flatsigned.com. Uh, and I'm going to throw out the phone number, too, 888 568 Three zero four eight, and uh, it, people jump on that, and, and it's only two hundred eighty nine dollars for the for the leather bound uh, edition.
4: That is correct. Originally, it was four eighty nine, and we sold a lot of copies at that price. And even QVC, and I kind of like this about America when it was really difficult to get through that wall built around Washington and New York, our uh, our own economic aspect of our country came through because qvc actually picked up the book and we sold thousands of copies on qvc and they wanted to buy them all and i said though no, that i wanted to keep a few hundred copies for people individuals out there listeners to your radio show and that's why that's why i have a few uh actually i think we're down to about 250 copies now remaining
2: well you know it, it's funny because uh you know a uh, might, might struggle sometimes with the way the government runs things, but capitalism will always work.
4: That's exactly what I wanted to, to do. I didn't want one company to end up having them all, so I wanted to make sure that, uh, at least, you know, 300 other people got copies of their own that they can show their family and friends.
2: And I can only imagine, you know, some of the, obviously you can't discuss this because it's private information, but knowing, you know, what I know about the assassination of JFK and knowing some of the very public figures who are interested in it and who do the research. I can only imagine some of the names that were coming in on some of these, these order forms that you were getting at Flat signed.
4: Well, that that is a very interesting insight. I, I thought it was really uh, interesting that I got phone calls here from people President Ford himself gave copies to part of our arrangement, our agreement, was that President Ford received 100 copies for his himself, and within a few months he had given out all of his 100 copies and came back to me to get more, and we did a secondary deal. He really loved this book, and we know he gave a copy to Vice President Cheney and to other dignitaries, because in the case of Vice President Cheney, his uh, office had to call here to get the value in order to report it on the federal uh, Federal forms. When anyone in office gets a gift like that, so we know that he gave a copy to Dick Cheney, and we know that some other uh, very high up people have also have their own copies of this book.
2: And a number of these people who were who are part of the the Bush administration recently were actually part of uh, Ford's uh, cabinet and part of his administration as well. So there was that tight connection between the two. So I'm sure, you know, it's possible that you know Dick Cheney was kind of passing that around, and, and many other figures within the cabinet read it as well.
4: Well, you're you're right, and he kind of taught me something about history and his legacy in in the new forward. He he kind of brags about the fact that he was the person who brought together a team of people who still play a p- powerful role in our government, and those included. George Herbert Walker Bush, who he appointed to, to become director of the CIA, and also uh, Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney and Alan Greenspan. Those people were first appointed to national office by Gerald Ford.
2: And, uh, you know, it's it seems like... Now, at least, it makes you even more appreciative of the fact that we have a a president and a new administration in charge. That's definitely going to be breaking ties with a lot of the old guard. You know, seeing some of the recycled names over the years, uh, now that we're we're definitely getting a fresh break.
4: Well, I hope you're right. And if you are correct, then I think that millions more dollars and millions of more man-hours can be saved with the stroke of a pen and that is if President Obama demands that the CIA finally, once and for all, release the real files to the American public.
2: And, and definitely in the next hour we'd like to talk with you more about uh, President Obama and what his impact can be on this. But uh, right now we actually have a call on the line, if you don't mind going to the phones. Sure. All right, good evening. You were on Spooky South Coast with Tim Miller. How are you doing? Good, how are you? All right, do you have a question for Tim?
5: I don't know, just a couple of uh, points I want to make. Um, most people that either they believe uh, there was a conspiracy or they don't. I don't think anybody's going to really change anybody's mind. Um, As President Obama, I don't think he's going to be releasing anything. I mean, he's good friends with Ted Kennedy, and I don't think he's going to be want to anything released because doesn't uh,
2: does want to do damage to the Kennedy family in any way.
5: I think so. I, t- I don't know. I don't, I don't think the Kennedys want. I just brought up anymore, so I don't think he'd. Um, and a lot of people don't really have any um, knowledge of firearms. And I mean, if they did, I mean, that, the shots that was being made, I mean, bad enough. First of all, that was a junk rifle. It still is a junk rifle.
2: The man Carcano.
5: Yes, and the, the scope was absolute junk. That was scope probably now you still get only about five dollars for it.
2: Well, not that particular one. That's probably worth a little bit more than that. But. Well, yeah, no. That,
5: obviously, I wish I had that one myself. But if he was to have that same setup right now, it's so junk. You know what I mean? If he, being, you know, I guess they didn't want to, obviously if somebody wanted to do something right, they would have had a, a better rifle, a better scope, but I guess they want to seem like it was from a poor guy buying a rifle, right, in mail order, when he could have got one local, he got a, got a Springfield with a German scope on it. I mean, that, them were super accurate. And said he goes and mail water a, a piece of junk like that. It didn't make sense. And the shots. I, I There was a show on recently. Well, there was a repeat of uh, about the Kennedy assassination. There was an elderly man on there. I don't know if any of you saw it. They had, he had that type of rifle on his hand, the same kind of rifle, and he was shooting it, showing how fast he could shoot it, and he was elderly. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't shooting at anything. You know what I'm saying? He was just pulling the trigger. He said, see, I can even pull the, the trigger that fast. Yeah, but you're not. He wasn't, you know what I'm saying? He wasn't shooting at anything. He's just shooting a, uh, a, a, an empty gun. Oh, see, even an elderly man can, in other words, shoot the gun that fast. It's not shooting the gun that fast. It's what you're hitting. And anything you shoot, believe me, I've been a gunsmith for Boy. years, and anything you shoot is not going to c- fall toward you.
2: Only the first shot is a surprise, too, so there's also that to take into account. But, Tim, I mean, obviously uh, President Ford gets into the, the idea of the, of the rifle, of the bullet, and of the ballistics uh, in the, the foreword for the book. I mean, when you were having these discussions with him, was that something that was kind of key to the whole, uh, the whole assassination theory for you, was being It,
4: it was, and, and the caller makes two really important facts. And the the first is, and I fear he's correct, but I hope I'm proven wrong. And that fact is that because of the close relationship between President Obama and Senator Ted Kennedy, I fear that that may be the reason that the files are not released until at least uh, Senator Kennedy passes away. And I don't say that with any disrespect, Mm -hmm. but perhaps senator kennedy himself may publicly call for the opening of the files before he passes away but what i was told by the career television anchorman is that the caller has it exactly right and that is that the kennedy family specifically does not want the files opened and i fear that that may be the reason that president obama doesn't act Mm -hmm. now coincidentally before this book was released to the public, and before the um, all of the discussion started, the book was published with lots of photographs that came from the Kennedy Library. They worked with my company, and we found photographs that we believe were never, many have never been published before. And the president, the the John F. Kennedy Library. Your caller has it right again that they are devoted to only uh, pursuing the message of President Kennedy's life. They really don't talk about, nor do they want to be involved with the assassination aspect of President Kennedy's life. Mm -hmm. But coincidentally, they worked with me and supplied the photographs that are actually included in this book. And, and they were really great in working with us to that in that regard. The second fact that your caller makes is that you know the, the rifle that was used if anyone with any reasonable intelligence really wanted to improve their chances of shooting someone, they could have easily found a better weapon that weapon, There's no doubt that that weapon was in the book depository. Now The real question is whether the final and fatal shot came from that rifle, and that's what led me to begin looking into the confession of E. Howard Hunt, because according to him, it was a separate shooter from the front using a different white rifle, and that makes much more common sense to me.
2: Well, we'll definitely get into that uh, coming up in the second hour. But right now we have to take a break for the news. And uh, when we come back, we will talk with Tim Miller more about the assassination of JFK and about for- President Ford's comments regarding that. And if you would like to get the book, go to flatsigned.com or presidentfordbook.com. You can check that out during the news break. Uh, we'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast.
0: You asked for it, you got it. And this is
3: Spooky South Coast
1: Volume
0: 2. I can
4: smell am not afraid. You will be.
0: supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does it. Good
2: evening, welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz. And this is the program where each and every Saturday night, we enter the world of the paranormal. We talk with you about various topics in the paranormal field, ghosts, UFOs, aliens, cryptozoology, uh, pretty much all kinds of weird, unusual and supernatural events and topics. And we've got a whole bunch of great shows lined up for the coming months. Uh, including uh, one that Matt Casa and I are are kind of working on on finalizing the deal uh, with with a number of the the people that we need to get involved with this. But we've got big big plans for a show regarding uh, paranormal and blues music. So that's yes. going to be something to keep on your calendar coming up. Uh, we're also going to be talking to uh, Soul Smack uh, in the coming weeks, who uh, have a new documentary out called Your Worst Nightmare about sleep paralysis and uh, that's going to be another fascinating show because, as you guys know, you know, being a, a sufferer of sleep disorders, I'm fascinated by the idea of sleep and how it relates to the paranormal. Also, uh, just so many great programs on tap. And, and, and guys, i I got to say it now, happy anniversary. Yeah. We, we kind of downplayed it this year, but uh, this is our anniversary, anniversary number three. So we're actually heading into year, what, four now of Spooky South Coast. Wow. That's kind of crazy. It's amazing. But, uh, <laughs> wow. if you had asked me back then if I thought we would make it this far, I, I would have said, uh, yes, you know, three years from now we will still be conducting paranormal talk radio shows in our own heads, locked away somewhere in a padded room. But, uh, the audience response has been great. We thank you. It's, uh, it's only been growing each and every day and if you can just take the time out you know uh, spread the word of spooky south coast if you enjoy the program and enjoy what we do tell a friend tell a couple friends and they'll tell a couple friends and they'll tell a couple more friends it's pretty much a paranormal pyramid scheme
3: yeah
2: that's how it works except we're not asking you for any money or to make any money <laughs> for us so there's no real scheme involved it's just you know spreading the word of what we hope is good paranormal radio and um with with that in mind uh we I'd also like to ask a favor of of everybody, and and if they can just take a, a a moment out of their day, if you listen to this program, whether it's now live or whether it's podcast later on, take a moment out of your day, send us an email, spookycrew at spooky south coast dot com. Tell us, you know, who you are, where you're from, how you listen, how you found out about the show, and maybe make one suggestion about what you'd like to see from Spooky South Coast. Obviously, podcast updates that doesn't have to be put in. We know that. We'd like <laughs> to see that too. But, you know, just give us an idea. We'd like to kind of get a, a feel of, of who the audience is here now, and you know, three basically years Basically what they want to hear.
3: But, yeah.
2: Sure. I mean, we basically, we plan the show around, you know, what we think is interesting and what we think people would like to hear and what we're really interested in talking about. So, you know, let us know. Help program the show. Tell us what you want to know more about, and, and we'll try to make that happen. Also, speaking of... Uh, Getting the word out in the paranormal field—a little plug, plug here for Power Relations, which is a a new organization started by myself and Christopher Balzano. And the idea behind Power Relations is it's a paranormal public relations firm. Uh, we are here to help get the word out about your book, about your product. You know, maybe you uh, maybe you made a documentary film, maybe you have you know a piece of paranormal equipment you want to get the word out about. That's what we're here for, Power Relations. And the idea behind it is, you know, we've been through the work Chris has done on his end of things, so the work I've done on my end of things, we've become pretty ingrained in the paranormal community, knowing who's who, knowing uh, where to go with certain information and who to present it best to. And so we'd like to put those uh, experiences and, and those, um, you know, in different projects and different people we've been involved with, we'd like to put that to work for you. So if you contact us, our website is pararelations.com, also para-relations.com, either one will work. Uh, And also you can go to myspace.com slash pararelations, all one word, and you can get a hold of us there. And essentially what we're offering is we're offering full-service help for people who want to make their self known in the paranormal field. Uh, If you, if you have an idea for a book and you need somebody to help co-write it or write it or, or you've written something and you need somebody to help edit it, we can do all of that. Uh, We can also help you in the promotion of that book. We can help you get it out to publishers and try to get it signed, uh, try to get it published, uh, try to get a deal signed. We can, And then once you have that product or that book ready to go, then we can make sure we get you on all the the Paranormal Talk radio shows that would be appropriate, and we can help you uh, create electronic press kits and and all different kinds of avenues. Uh, Audio production, Macasa, you have a, a, a company forthcoming. Uh, where you can help assist, uh, with audio production, website production is another thing that we're offering. So basically, power relations and through our partnership with companies like Mattson and, and other, other people that we've worked with over the last few years, we can really help it come all together for you at a very relatively inexpensive price. And what it, what we think we're doing, aside from hopefully, you know, getting the word out about more people and, and helping utilize our skills in the paranormal, we think we're also gonna help set the tone for the paranormal field that it's more than just you know the same five or six paranormal research that we've heard about for the last 30 40 years there's more to the field than just that there's more uh opinions and there's more theories out there than just what's made the mainstream media over the last few years so we want to make sure that everybody has their chance to be the voice and and as chris puts it so succinctly you know you have a voice we're just the megaphone to help make that voice louder so all right, let's go to hear somebody that's going to chide me for for pushing power relations. I'm sure. Good evening, around spooky south coast. How you doing?
5: I just called. Uh, I just wanted to say congratulations. I didn't uh, realize how, how long it's been already. Uh, Thank you. Th- this is John. I've been a fan since day one.
2: Thank you very much for that. Yes, I and mean, it's 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 been a long time, but it certainly doesn't feel that way to us.
5: No, gee, time really flew fast, and you know, as time flies, we're getting older too, but. No, these guys do a great job. You don't do a cheesy show, which is good. Thank you. And uh, I always enjoy it, and uh, I always make sure I'm homesteaded and I listen to the show.
2: Well, thank you very much. Thank
3: All you, John. Okay. Take hey, care. Hey, John, can yes. I ask a question? Sure. Because you, ha- you have a uh, skill that is actually relevant to tonight's discussion. Mm-hmm. You're a gunsmith, right? Yes. Okay. Now, as a gunsmith, mm-hmm. What do you think is possible with a man liquor Carkeno as far as a firing rate in your professional opinion
5: firing rate yes you could well, you could have put off that you could have put off that amount of seconds or uh, as many shots but with a better scope you would have probably it's very really hard hitting a moving target. Well, i you know i mean i've been going to the range since a kid i i mean i'm fifty three years old i've fired all kinds of weapons uh um, it's hard to shoot a moving target. you got to just practice and practice and practice. You just can't say, "Well, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm a good shot in the range. Most of these good shots at the range, seriously, they're shooting rifles with fixed stands. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That rifle is fixed, and obviously they're good shots because you take the stand away from that guy, and this guy, some of these guys have been shooting 30, 40 years. You know what I'm saying? So they try to shoot freehand, they can't do anything. You know what I'm
2: saying? Well, I mean, also, uh, Oswald was uh, supposedly an expert marksman, um, even though the documents may have been fudged about right. his actual service. I mean, from what we understand now, from what's been you know, done in research into his CIA activities and everything, apparently he was an expert marksman. Right. But uh, even that well, being fixed. said. Well, yeah. A
5: fixed sight. Well, I mean, fixed target. When you've got a moving target, even though it's, it does seem like that's moving fast, the Kennedy car wasn't moved it was not moving fast enough that the only way is, like, a, what I feel was from the front. And when the back, you know, that, not to be gory, but that piece of his head flew off. Mm-hmm. That was only from a front shot. I've watched hundreds of videos, and not of that, obviously, but of hunting and uh, different, uh, all kinds of shots, that type of shot. And nothing comes flying at you. Obviously, you shoot something that's a headshot from the front. I believe it was a 30-yard six from the front, and that was the the result.
2: Which would place the shooter at the grassy knoll.
5: Wherever, wherever he was, that was a front shot. That was no way a rear shot because, yeah, I mean, you'd have, uh, I mean, that man's, as uh, that was a rear shot, that man's, the front of his head, the front of his face would have been gone. That was a real shot. That a front shot. It was like I mean, off to obviously, whoever was doing the shooting. I mean, it was bad, it was a bad enough shot, but I'm sure you know he
3: was it off did to the, the job.
5: side a little bit, and you've seen what happened.
3: Yeah, it did the job.
5: It did the job. I mean, that was a front, a shot from the front. even if a person like you said before, Tim was shocked. You know, they they jump. Nobody's head moves back. Once you shoot somebody from the front or the back. The head does not move towards you; it moves away. Whether you shoot paper, watermelons, or any of that stuff, that that piece will go flying backwards. Okay. You know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah. And, it's the the scientific part of this would be the transfer of kinetic energy traveling in the same direction. Right.
5: Right, and it always the hole in the front is as large as obviously the one in the back, especially you know hollow points and want to it's all exploding tips, you know, the hull of the back is always, obviously, you know, off the shot is off. Sometimes it'll hit bone, sometimes it'll go off to the side a little bit. Probably what that one did. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that was, that wasn't him shooting, especially, I have to say, with that rifle and with that scope. Because it was, he could have went in the pawn shop with ten bucks, right? Come out with a Springfield rifle with a, like a German scope on it, a sniper rifle. Ten, fifteen bucks. Instead of getting that piece of junk you got, what was their scope then? I think it was a $1.98 He paid for it.
2: Well, but then that wouldn't have created the paper trail that they were able to track back to him. All right, we got to move on, John, but thank, right. you, thank you for calling in and, and sharing those sentiments, and thank you for your expertise as well. No problem. Take right, care. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, well, that being said, I guess uh, it seems kind of weird to move from, you know, talking about the gravity of, you know, the fatal shot that killed President Kennedy and going into the week and weird, but that is what we have to do. So here we go.
5: Well, i got a great show for you today with some wonderful weird stuff. I feel,
6: I feel so very weird.
2: The Week in Weird. Alright, our first story comes to us from Max B. Baker in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. The U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear the case of a woman who says that a forced traumatic exorcism left her so physically bruised and emotionally scarred that she later tried to commit suicide. Attorneys for Laura Schubert Pearson filed an appeal before the court late last year, arguing that the Texas Supreme Court was wrong in tossing out her case against the Pleasant Glade Assembly of God in Coleyville. In the appeal, Pearson's attorneys argue that the Texas court's ruling quote, dramatically and dangerously departs from the Supreme Court's earlier decisions, adding that someone's religious beliefs do not excuse them from being held accountable under valid state laws that prohibit such things as assault and false imprisonment. David Prussner, the Dallas attorney representing the church, said he was not surprised as the court denies to hear about 95% of the appeals filed, especially those so tied in a state court issue. The odds were not great for the morning to hear the case, he said. While he was happy with the court's decision, he also said he felt some sadness about completing a case he's dealt with for about 10 years. It's hard for me to think that I won't be writing any more briefs on this. It's hard for me to let it go, he said. Uh, Pearson Pearson described a wild night in 1996 that involved casting out demons from the church and two attempts to exorcise demons from her. The incident led Pearson, then 17, to eventually attempt suicide she said. According to court documents, uh, Pearson and her brother Joey were involved in church activities while their parents were out of town, and Pearson underwent two exorcisms. One of those episodes was during a youth service, and Pearson reportedly curled into a fetal position and asked church members and staff to be left alone. Church members thought she was in distress and held her down in a spread-eagle position. She suffered carpet burns and scrapes on her back and bruised wrists. After the incident, she dropped out of high school her senior year, began to cut herself as many as a hundred times over several years, and refused to leave the house. She slit her wrists with a box cutter. A divided Texas Supreme Court ruled last year that the Pleasant Glade Assembly of God staff and members are protected by the First Amendment because the case involves an ecclesiastical dispute over religious conduct. Pearson's attorney said that the Texas court's decision expands the universe of activities that are protected by the First Amendment's freedom of religious precepts. Briefs filed for the now-defunct church, it merged with another Coleyville church, contend that the case is a personal injury action regarding mental anguish damages that should be left for state courts to decide. Pearson is now 29, married, and living in Georgia. So there you go. Apparently, you know, they can just have you undergoing exorcism whenever they feel it's okay. Hmm. Now, Matt Moniz, you've been involved in exorcisms, and and you've got to know, you know, with anything from good Samaritan laws to personal injury laws to everything, you know, you kind of need to have a clear-cut okay from the person,
3: Yeah. even even if they're under the influence of a demon. The whole point of an exorcism is the person has to want it in the first place.
2: Exactly. Otherwise, you know, you're just wasting Uh, your time. Right. Yeah. All right, Matt Costa, what do you have for us?
6: From the DailyMail.com, drinking cup after cup of coffee drastically increases the risk of hallucination. Research shows...
2: What'd you say, Pink Elephant?
6: <laughs> healthy young men and women who had more than seven cups of instant coffee a day were three, more times, were th- three times more likely to hear or see things that, uh, that weren't there to those who limited their intake to less than one cup a day. It is thought that caffeine boosts levels of cortisone, a stress hormone, confirming the link could lead to new treatments for those who suffer f- from severe hallucinations, including schizophrenics, some victims of child abuse, and recent, recent uh, recently bereaved. The Durham Univer- University researchers asked 219 students to document their caffeine intake, working on the principle that a cup of instant coffee contains 45 milligrams of caffeine coffee brewed at, ho- at home contains almost twice as much while that from cafes such as Starbucks has almost 190 milligrams of caffeine the volunteers were also asked to who- how often they suffered hallucinations the high-, the high caffeine users were three times more likely to have problems to- compared to those who rarely drank coffee Large amounts of caffeine also made more people more likely to think they could sense the presence of ghosts. The journal, so says the journal. Personality of individual differences reports. So yeah.
2: So uh, what you're saying is we probably shouldn't drink coffee before we go on investigations. Maybe uh, stick to tea. Maybe all those uh, Dunkin' Scariest Donuts runs. As tea can... has more
3: caffeine than coffee, generally.
2: Those uh, those Dunkin' Don't Donuts runs when we're at Lizzie out. Borden's house not
6: a good idea. <laughs> Don't put your politics.
2: <laughs> well, you know what I say say to you for that story, Matt. What's up? Thank you, Thank you very much. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wait, what about what about uh, bringing chip coffee along on investigations? Is that going to cause any hallucinations? Possibly. Awesome. No? Okay. I'm not
3: even going to touch that.
2: Well, that's not an insult to chat. It's just a joke. His name's Coffee. <laughs> oh, man. Come on. You know I go for the lamest joke possible all the time.
3: So that means my you know, check. an investigation without him is decaffeinated or
2: something? No oh, boy. All right.
3: All right. This comes from the AFP in Lima. Heavy rains in recent days in Peru have affected the famed Nazca Lines, the two millennial giant outlines that are one of the country's top tourist attractions, officials said Tuesday. The precipitation left a layer of white clay on parts of the two glyphs, giving another color to the figures, archaeologist Mario Orlicia of the National Institute of Culture told AFP. But the changes were reversible, he added. The Nazca Lines are considered one of the world's greatest mysteries. The glyphs depicting people Animals, simple lions, are up to 200 meters or 656 feet long and can only be truly appreciated from the air. They were placed on UNESCO's list of World Heritage Sites in 1994 and thousands of tourists visit every year to see them up close.
2: Well, of course, you and I know them as the landing strip for the UFOs. Yeah.
3: Go Eric Von Dineken.
2: <laughs> but, I mean, the fact that, you know, over the years, I mean, these have been subject to numerous weather events and, and everything like that, I'm sure.
3: Actually, no. It's really? in one of the driest regions in the world, and especially in Peru. there it's, it's a high plateau plain, and it gets almost no rainfall generally.
2: So then so then, this is actually kind of a, a strange uh, the, event to have happen.
3: This is a rare event. Not unprecedented, but it rains there, extremely rare.
2: Should we, should we be worried that uh, the, the UFOs wouldn't be able to find us now without the, the Nazca lines there? to uh, them? There are plenty
3: of other lines and other landmarks that I'm sure that they can use.
2: I, I'm pretty sure that they just take a left at Mars. Yes. Yeah. Straight on till morning. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. The Week in Weird. Uh, if you have a story that you think is a little bit strange and unusual, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com. Click on the forum tab at the top of the page, go into the Week and Weird thread, drop the story right in there. And if uh, we use it on the show, we will send you a Spooky South Coast bumper sticker while well, supplies last. And uh, you can also send them to us, email them to us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com as well. All right, we'll be right back with Tim Miller talking more about the JFK assassination and what President Gerald Ford had to say regarding that and the Warren Commission report as well. We'll be also be taking your phone calls, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, and email SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast.
0: ...effort through the total cooperation of the uh, federal uh, investigating authorities and local authorities to uh, interrogate uh, everybody that we could find who allegedly had any information concerning Oswald's appearance uh, or uh, time that he spent in New Orleans. Uh, However, there's always a possibility in a criminal investigation that uh, some evidence wasn't turned up, and if this is the case this time, I sincerely hope and trust that the uh, law enforcement officials in New Orleans will fully cooperate with the Attorney General. Congressman, to your knowledge, was the possibility of a conspiracy in New Orleans ever even mentioned during the investigation? Oh, yes. The uh, Warren Commission made a tremendous effort to uh, interrogate every possible uh, individual who allegedly had any connection with the uh, assassination. We uh, thoroughly investigated all aspects of Oswald's uh, uh, period of time in New Orleans. Uh, there was never any uh, uh, failure to do anything and everything we could to look into this aspect of Oswald's life. Do you think the Warren Commission report
1: is wrong? Well, of course, uh, wrong is is uh, is uh, has a lot of connotations. I, I, I think the Warren report uh, uh, did not pretend to say exactly what happened. I, I think. Uh, if their conclusion was, the conclusion of the Warren Commission was that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald went into this project unaided and without without the assistance, of assistance and help of other persons, then I would say that uh, I think that the Warren Commission was wrong.
0: Now, Mr. Garrison, you have the Warren Commission, you have the FBI, you have the Secret Service, CIA, State Department, Defense Department, thousands of interviews, hundreds of witnesses, how could they all be wrong?
1: Well, of course, first of all, let me remind you of the old saying that uh, one man with the truth constitutes a majority. The point being that uh, volume, uh, uh, the number of individuals investigating can be irrelevant. But uh, even more pertinent, I think, is the fact that all of this investigative machinery uh, lacked uh, an evaluation uh, mechanism. There was uh, at no point any effective uh, evaluation function being exercised. The FBI, which is unquestionably one of the finest fact-gathering agencies in the world, if not the very best, has never pretended to have uh, uh, machinery set up for evaluation. They're not geared for it in the old Scotland Yard tradition. They have other functions. So that they did not have evaluation machinery, nor did they pretend to so in effect they sent uh, thousands of boxes of uh, material to be digested further up the line on the other hand the warren commission itself uh, the way it was constituted was also left without evaluation machinery uh, in my judgment uh, the men on the warren commission are all uh, honorable men to say the least uh, men of uh... of, uh, of character and devotion to their country, but uh, they were left without the assistance of uh, evaluation machinery, a team of evaluators, so that nowhere in the picture was there effective evaluation. Our team is is so small that, uh, in contrast, uh, it is almost humorous, but we have put uh, a heavy premium on evaluation, and uh, as a result, uh, I think we made quite a bit of progress. What started out as a routine investigation of uh, possible local involvement of the assassination of uh, President Kennedy has uncovered certain facts which we consider extremely interesting. So I would say that the investigation is no longer routine, but uh, it is now extremely interesting, and it will continue.
0: Garrison, the Walling Commission said that
1: Oswald acted alone and there was no conspiracy. Apparently you do not believe the Warren Commission's report. Is that correct? That's correct. I believe the Warren Commission uh, was wrong and uh, will be
0: shown to be wrong. Mr. Garrison, on the basis of what you've just said, then do you feel there should be a new investigation of the slaying of President Kennedy on a level higher than yours, such as it has been suggested by some people—a new federal investigation?
1: Well, that actually—I think that uh, effective investigation, by that I mean imaginative investigation in which there is effective evaluation and not simply the blind collection of volumes of evidence uh, at every level is justified in a case like this. I would have to answer yes, except that I would hope that this time more premium would be placed on the evaluation function. But of course it would be uh, better if more agencies uh, cooperated and gave each other information, worked together. Uh, A matter like this justifies uh, a number
0: of concurrent
1: investigations.
0: Mr. Garrison, has it always been your belief that the Warren Commission was inaccurate? No. Uh,
1: As a matter of fact, I think uh, I accepted the uh, Warren report uh, without question until uh, uh, last fall, last November, when uh, out of curiosity I began reading and then uh, studying this case. And then uh, I went into the 26 volumes of the Warren Report, and realized there were some questions. Then we started investigating here, and then we found that the Warren Commission was wrong.
2: So, there you have uh, former New Orleans District Attorney uh, Jim Garrison uh, speaking about the Warren Commission and how he thought that it uh, was not accurate in its portrayal of the assassination of of John F. Kennedy, and of course, that being the impetus for a lot of the conspiracy theories that came out later on, uh, including the Oliver Stone film JFK joining us of course, on the phone is Tim Miller, who has published uh, a new. Concise edition of the Warren Report and a, a handsome leather-bound edition that I must say is, is something you want to add to your collection. Uh, go to flatsigned.com if you want to get one of the few remaining copies. But it also has an introduction by President Gerald Ford uh, discussing the Warren Commission and and his thoughts on that. And it's, it's almost essentially you know his, his final say. On this, uh, but he did tell Tim a little bit more than what made it to publication, and that 's what we 've been discussing tonight and tim it's it 's interesting because, like i said it 's kind of become you know garrison 's uh, investigation into the assassination has kind of become you know the forerunner of a lot of these conspiracy theories, even though a lot of them did exist before then but it 's almost like now, within the public consciousness, the j f k film is. You know, the the be-all, end-all for conspiracy theories regarding the JFK assassination. And and President Ford was not a fan of that film in terms of the uh, information being presented.
4: You are correct. And, in fact, he comments on the film and even uses Oliver Stone by name uh, in this new forward that he wrote for the book I published. And his comments are not flattering. Um, I saw the movie even long before I worked with President Ford, and I didn't ask him personally when we talked what he thought about it, because I knew the answer already. Mm -hmm. But he does comment on the movie. And an interesting aside from your interview there between he and Jim Garrison, which, by the way, I've never heard. I thought that was very intriguing and, and glad that you played that for your listeners. I'll give you one example of where I think, um, common sense tells me that the Warren Commission wanted to report there was a lone gunman even before they gave their final report. And, and that involves a lady, and there are several ladies. But in this new forward, President Ford talks, I believe for the first time ever, about one of the ladies that was interviewed by the Dallas police, and she was never interviewed by the Warren Commission, and the reason, I believe, is because she never changed her story, and that story was that she knew that a shot came from the Grassy Knoll, and my question is, if the Warren Commission wanted to listen to every witness who had something to say, how could they not even interview this lady? And the answer is because they knew, and President Ford actually says this in the New Forward, they knew what she was going to say, so therefore she had nothing further to tell them. Now, the only reason you can use that as a logical reason is because you didn't want to hear what she might even add to her statement. Anytime, just like Garrison said, if you really want to get to the truth, You need to ask everybody, especially those who said they saw a shooter on the grassy knoll. How could the Warren Commission truly, legitimately say that they wanted to get to the truth when they didn't even interview this lady?
2: Exactly. And, you know... uh, Garrison is an interesting point to bring up too, because it seems almost like his his journey through this parallels your own. Uh, he mentioned in that clip that he didn't really believe that there was this an assassination, uh, I mean, a conspiracy, uh, and that he believed the the Warren Commission report until other facts kind of came to light, and that's similar to what you experienced. I mean, now knowing what you know, having worked with President Ford and and seeing some of these inaccuracies in and in the Warren Commission. I mean, how much further have you uh, delved into the uh, assassination of JFK?
4: Well, first, I'm a little bit taken aback by that comparison, which I, <laughs> I'm flattered, and I, I appreciate that, but no one else has ever drawn that comparison, so it's something that I'll be thinking about uh, for the rest of my life, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, what what really has happened in my mind is just like you quoted i didn't want to believe i guess at one point and even when i came to the conclusion that there may have been it it was past. it was in our history and in my life what what did it really matter i guess is the question i was asking internally And it was not until I worked with President Ford, and then so many people emailed me or called me. And I remember talking to a a medical doctor. I talked to him about a month ago. And he was quoted multiple times in the book released just two years ago by Vincent Bugliosi, the author of Helter Skelter. But he also published and wrote his own book, about the Warren Commission report, he and I have talked for hours, I'm sure, uh, over the telephone, and he has validated all of the facts that caused me to believe there was a conspiracy. But in Vince's mind, there is no proof of that conspiracy. And I guess the comparison is a a fair one. And what that doctor told me was that he was misquoted in Vince's book, and he's actually challenged Vince to publicly uh, talk about these issues, and, and Vince Vince hasn't yet done that. Although Vince and I have talked about doing joint appearances, and I'm rambling, and I don't mean to, but to answer your question, there are so many people out there who have their little, um, their, not only their, their points of view, but their facts that they know and it's unfortunate that all these things cannot be put to bed, put to rest after 45 years, mm-hmm. simply by releasing, the government releasing the files so that we we then know what happened. But the way you described it is correct. I was not a real believer, and it didn't really have an impact in my life until working with President Ford. And then, with so many people bringing to light so many pieces of information, a common sense approach to this is there had to be a conspiracy, and again I, I say in support of that, even the Congress says that there likely was a conspiracy. For, so for those of you out there who believe in the conspiracy theories, don't do not think that you're alone. Mm-hmm. And and I, you know, not only am I with you, but you're backed up by our own federal government, which is incredible when you think about it. That one branch of the government says, yes, there was a conspiracy, and yet President Ford said there was not. And so many powers want us to believe the untruth, that there was not a conspiracy to kill JFK.
2: Well, I think that's that's checks and balances in workforce right there. Uh, it,
4: should, it should be, but, you know, there's no check here mm-hmm. because, because one agency is acting as if it is not responsible to the Congress, and yet it is.
2: And, and by the way, if, if yourself and, and Vincent Bugliosi do start making joint appearances, one place we're going to get you in is uh, locally here at the University of Massachusetts, Dartmouth, where they actually have the RFK assassination archive, because there's some information there about the assassination that Vince might want to read before he kind of puts down that uh, conspiracy as well. I, I think that's a good
4: idea. Vince is actually uh, verbally concerned. Agreed that he would do a joint appearance. The only requirement is that he wants it to be at least two or three hours so that he has a lot of time to explain his facts. Mm -hmm. And he'll probably win that debate because he's a very knowledgeable prosecutor and, and very intellectual on the subject. What I bring to the table is a commonsensical approach, and that is who benefited from the assassination. And and that's it's kinda of like follow the money. Mm-hmm. To me, if you if you follow the money, that usually tells you who did the crime. LBJ. And, and,
2: well, in this case it's it's the only thing in the world that's greater than money, and that's power.
4: Well, you're correct, but power with power comes money. And those facts that Vince confirm for me, I'll give you a few of them. And they really go hand-in-hand, power and money. Um, LBJ was being investigated for bribery and corruption by his own Senate, and they actually met the day before the assassination. And after the assassination, that committee never met again. Not even to have a final report. They simply stopped meeting. And we know, and Vince backed that fact up, and Vince backed up the following facts. LBJ was not going to be on JFK's ticket in 64 because of the uh, rumors of corruption and bribery. And also we know that amongst LBJ's uh, kitchen cabinet, is what we would call it in today's politics, there was at least one person who was convicted of another murder in Texas by a jury and yet he was let free the same day by the judge. So that's just one example of who LBJ had amongst his um, inner circle. And it's those people who are were in that inner circle who were going to lose power. But now getting to the money aspect, everyone agrees that JFK wanted to reduce America's involvement in Vietnam. But after the assassination, Vietnam became mushroomed in size, not only in budget, but in American troops. And one of the biggest contracts, probably the biggest up till that time in American history, a billion-dollar contract went to a company called Brown & Root.
5: For and the Gulf of Tonkin, and we know Tonkin? that
4: LBJ was connected to that company, so he financially benefited, as well as his family. And that company, Brown and Root, went on to become Halliburton, which now in Iraq, the U.S. government is still giving contracts to Brown and Root because Halliburton got in so much trouble in the last three years.
3: Mm-hmm. So uh, that's
4: money and power.
3: Now that was in response to uh, controlling the oil concerns in the Gulf of Tonkin, correct?
6: That
2: is correct. Now, in bringing this into, into modern terms, and on your website, flatsign.com, I noticed that you have a number of, of uh, different items that you are now offering that are signed by, by President Obama. And, of course, we'll, being here in Boston, Red Sox Country, we'll forgive the signed Yankees cap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you. But you. You. you do have a number of uh, items uh, signed by Barack Obama, including copies of Profiles and Courage, John F. Kennedy's book. And I know yeah. we were saying off the air that you do see some similarities between Obama and Kennedy in terms of, you know, the call of, you know, having Americans be responsible for, for themselves. And do you think that maybe Obama, I know we talked earlier about, you know, how he, he's close with Kennedy, but in terms of making the government more accountable to the people, you know, that could kind of be an impetus to get more information.
4: I, I hope he is. I actually met, president obama three days prior to the election and he was kind enough to autograph some some books for me in st louis two weeks prior to that and he signed uh... you mentioned the john F. kennedy profiles encouraged but he also signed a copy of to kill a mockingbird mm-hmm. and to my knowledge uh, no one else has an autographed copy of of to kill a mockingbird And he said, I heard him tell staff members that he was never going to sign another copy, so that's the only one maybe in the world. But I thought that the connection between Obama's election to the presidency and Harper Lee's story about how black people were treated, especially in the South in the 1960s, was so interesting. I thought it would be a really great thing to have then-Senator Obama autograph that book as well as profiles and courage. Um, I, I hope that President Obama is able to deliver all that we hope he can. He's going to be, he's already been given a really rough road, to hoe, as we would call it in the South, but a very difficult challenge. But I hope he comes through and he's, he has a lot of things to worry about and I don't want to take his time in trying to get him to release this file, but I think it's really important, and I really hope he acts upon that, and if enough people ask him to, I'm pretty sure he will, but the first thing we can do is ask via the media to get them to at least begin asking these questions again, because if no one lets their elected representatives know that they care, then they're not going to do anything
2: absolutely and you also have some some signed uh, items by hillary clinton and uh you know maybe knowing what we think we know she knows about the ufo situation maybe we can get some uh, some ufo documents published in a, in a nice collection we can get her to write a forward for that huh no <laughs>
4: well i actually published working with her publisher i was able to produce a leather bound edition of her book invitation to the white house and From her standpoint, unfortunately, she's not in the White House, but I am glad that she's working within his cabinet, and it was really uh, an honor to be able to publish a book from Hillary Clinton, and I'm really glad that you told your listeners about it. Uh, Only 500 copies of that book were ever published.
2: I'm thinking we can take you know the Project Blue Book, and we can take the Brookings report, kind of bind those up in one edition, and have Hillary Clinton write the foreword and reveal everything she knows about the UFO situation. But I don't think that'll happen anytime soon. <laughs> now, one one important note to make, Tim, and and of course, uh, as we said, everybody can go to FlatSigned.com if they want to purchase these items, and definitely get there before all these uh, Warren Commission books are gone. Uh, the number is eight 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 five six eight three zero four eight. And it's flatsigned.com. But one final point I want to make before we wrap things up is at, at the very end of, of President Ford's comments uh, preceding the report, he he asks, you know, one simple question: Will I be inducted into the JFK assassination ring when I am no longer around to defend myself? And he is no longer with us. He's no longer able to defend himself. What do you think his place in history will be in regard to the JFK assassination? you know, now with all these new facts that have come to light?
4: He will go down as being the last surviving member of the commission, and he will go down as holding to his pledge the way I saw it, and as I mentioned earlier, holding to his pledge, being the honorable man that he was, that the Warren Commission got it exactly right. But unfortunately, that contradicts the finding of the U.S. Congress, as well as a majority of Americans who still believe that there was an assassination to kill President Kennedy. But I don't think he will mind being on the opposite side of history and on the opposite sides of polls as proven by his decision to pardon Richard Nixon when he could have waited a few months on the same thing and been elected president of the United States. And if we're ending... I'd like to say that regardless of President Ford and whether he knowingly kept information from the American public, he was an honorable, good man, and I appreciate him working with me, but he also left his final words, which ended up being his final book, in the book that I work with him on and my company published, and there are clues there that you can see inside the mind of President Ford even though he's
2: gone and it's just great to actually be able to read comments you know coming firsthand from somebody who is probably you know not appreciated enough for the position he was thrust in with both the warren commission and with the presidency and to kind of get in, inside his mind a little bit it, at the very least you've you've been able to capture in time you know who gerald ford was
4: you are correct and just before the break You mentioned the second website, and actually there was a correction that needs to be made. If people want to go directly to the website rather than flat-signed with an ED on the end, they can go directly to the President Ford page by going to PresidentGeraldFordBook.com.
2: Okay.
4: I think there was a a misunderstanding there, but it's PresidentGeraldFordBook.com or flat-signed, and they can get the copy of the redacted comments free of charge.
2: But hurry up because uh, the the Warren Commission book is. Would you say less than two hundred and thirty copies?
4: Less than two hundred and fifty. All
2: right, let's make sure we sell those out. Then everybody go on and, and grab those while they're still available to us. And hopefully in the future we can talk to you more about uh, other different books that you that your company comes out with as well.
4: Well, Tim and Matt, thank you for having me, and I appreciate the visit. And we'll talk again in the future, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you both.
2: Have a great night. You too. That is Tim Miller of Flat Signed, and you can go to their website flatsigned.com, dot com, as he said, with an ed at the end, and uh, presidentgeraldfordbook dot com, and definitely check it out because I mean, having read these comments, like I said, you know, it's great to to be able to hear almost firsthand here by reading these comments, you know, what what President Ford had to say, and. Of course, you know, this is a topic that's not going to go away anytime soon. There's still going to be so many questions regarding the assassination of John F. Kennedy that uh, there'll be many future shows where we'll discuss it as well. All right, well, we we will be back next week here in our regular time slot to talk with you more about the world of the paranormal. So make sure you stay tuned for that. then coming up in two weeks, uh, we'll be joined by Dr. Lewis Turry. You've heard him on shows like Coast to Coast AM, and he's been on this show in the past. He's going to talk with us about some of his predictions for 2009, what he sees happening with the Obama presidency, and he'll share with us uh, more information about what's coming up in the future. Because you know, Dr. Turry is is probably one of the uh, most popular uh, psychics among the celebrity crowd, and 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 he knows this stuff. And he's a very entertaining guy, and, he, and he's a great guest, and we look forward to speaking with him again. So until next week. We will say for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spectacular.
5: Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again, tomorrow, 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 tomorrow,
0: tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen to the it. Does.